0: hi everyone welcome back to the quantum heart cafe i hope everyone's enjoying the weekend and has had a a wonderful week and today i'm excited because i'm going to be talking about or just uh giving my thoughts on the book i just finished reading it's uh called god is red and yeah uh god is red a native view of religion and it was written by vine deloria jr and it's an excellent book and it is about uh, find Deloria Jr.'s uh, an indigenous perspective on uh, like the big three major religions. He focuses mostly on Christianity throughout the story, or sorry, throughout the book, but uh, he does I mention the other two religions, but his main focus is on uh, Christianity and sometimes throughout the book he does refer to the big three religions is Near Eastern religions. So if you hear me uh, say that, that's what that means, is the Near, near East means the three uh, major Abrahamic religions. And also, too, because, uh, you know, as I start going into the book, like, you know, I will be talking about uh, Indigenous perspectives on Christianity and trying to relate that to what we're going through right now. Uh, So just remember, just as I was talking about uh, last year, I uh, spoke about a book called "Pagans in the Promised Land" by Stephen Newcomb, and that was a really good book. And so, just uh, and in the book, he talked about, or Stephen Newcomb makes a distinction between individual Christians practicing their faith and uh, Christendom, which is the the overarching political structure and so on like all the politics and all the bureaucracy and everything like that that's associated with the overarching uh, Christianity and so I just want to make that distinction with this book Vine Deloria Jr doesn't really do that in this one uh I just I just want to uh make that distinction here just because you know when I talk about Christianity I'm am talking about like the overarching I'm kind of doing the same thing. So if uh, you're an individual and practicing Christianity, this isn't an attack on you. Rather, I thought the book was really interesting. I thought the book was really thought-provoking. And I mean, I, I used to be a Catholic. I'm not like practicing Catholic anymore. But when reading that, maybe think about when I was going to Catholic school and what I learned there. And... It's kind of made me kind of reflect has it's also it's made me reflect on my because right now i'm starting to learn about my ancestral roots uh which is uh irish and you know before catholicism came to ireland uh we practiced druidry and sort of uh, celtic spirituality and there may even have been spiritual practices older than that because the celts aren't native, they're not indigenous to Ireland, that there's, a, there's people that were there before. Uh, and that being said though, like the, the spiritual tradition that was practiced on in Ireland back before Catholicism came, uh, was Druidry and uh, Celtic spirituality. And I'm working to reconnect with that because I feel more drawn to the animism and uh, the nature-based focus of of Druidry, of whereas I find it now that, just right now, like for now, I find it really hard to uh, kind of connect with Catholicism on a personal level. Uh, there's aspects to it that I, I do connect with, but just like the, the organization as a whole and just with all the history and all the you know, everything that's gone on, you know, especially with learning more about the residential schools, learning about all the abuse that took place uh, with the priests and, att- you know, the abusing children. I just have uh, a really hard time connecting with Christianity in that way. Like sometimes, yes, I'd, you know, say prayers or you think about, like, um. I don't have a problem with the, you know Jesus Christ and and so on. I just it's just the organized part that I have a hard time connecting with. And and I think you know what was nice about this book is that it kind of helped me to understand a bit more why I have that uh, difficulty because there's other things that I there's other reasons why I have a hard time committing like connecting with it, but uh and then that's just me i'm not this is not an attack on anyone rather it's just sharing what my thoughts are and maybe you'll as you're listening to this and if you are practicing these religions then i hope that maybe these will give pause for some self-reflection and if not and if you don't agree with it then maybe just you know don't worry about it just there's other podcasts and stuff that are out there um but before I get uh, more further into the uh, God is Bread, I just want to also talk about uh, the cup of coffee I was just enjoying before the show. I had a a a Mercury's coffee that I got uh, gifted for Christmas. and it's a it was a mocha Java. It's really nice, a really nice coffee. I enjoyed that before the show. I find if I drink coffee during the show, it often goes cold because of you know's been focused on talking and stuff like that. So I figured maybe I'll try enjoying a cup of coffee before. Uh, So, you know, just trying out something. And uh, if you're having uh, a hot beverage, I hope you're enjoying it. And, uh, and then for a moment of gratitude. um, You know, I am, I was kind of feeling upset earlier today. I sometimes I feel kind of stuck where I'm at (laughs) and, but when I'm feeling stuck, I I find that if I get up and start moving like the, uh, yeah, when I get like, when I find if I feel, if I'm feeling kind of stuck in life, um, getting up and moving and and doing chores and, you know, focusing on other things kind of helps to get me unstuck. And then, then I start, uh, feeling better again so I, I'm kind of grateful for that that I was able to uh because it's not I don't like dwelling in that kind of frustration for too long it it's has it has its place but you know it's probably not healthy to stay there forever so I was just happy that kind of figured out to kind of get up start moving doing things uh you know focus on my show and then eventually I know um yeah, you know, I'll be unstuck and have some forward movement, but I guess sometimes the universe has, there's just like with everything, there's a season, so uh, there's like laws and dips, but it doesn't help when I just want to get moving and I feel stuck. But that's that's just me. It's kind of a strategy I have to feel a little unstuck is just to you know, start doing things and then just remembering to be grateful for what I do have and where I'm at. It's not that bad um so anyway that's that's what I'm grateful for that was just my what I was going through kind of this last couple days um but definitely recording these podcasts does help so and reading and and learning more and and sharing my thoughts with people okay so without further ado I would like to get into Vine Deloria Jr's book I probably will be covering at say or talking about 20% of what's in the book like the The topics and the subjects that really jumped out at me that all being said i highly recommend people read uh god is bread and uh, he has other when i was when i was looking him up i found that he has other books so i probably will be purchasing those books and reading them and sharing them on the podcast because you know it is something that i feel is important is to talk about uh colonialism talk about that part of history and it's not a woke agenda it's not part of that stuff why i'm talking about it is because you know it's what the predatory machine does is it goes and colonizes different people colonizes different lands you know came here um you know a long time ago i mean i know england gets a bad rap but when spain came here you know they really and portugal you know, they really uh, started the whole colonialism. And then, you know, England and then the other other countries, European countries, started following suit. And I think that's just a really important part to talk about. It's a really important part of our collective story. And I don't, on my spiritual journey, I don't like practicing. I don't do spiritual bypassing or try not to because it just doesn't feel, it feels disingenuous to me. Like when I hear these spiritual bliss bunnies running around saying like, "Oh, it's good," you know, positive vibes only, man. I just find that so annoying because not everyone has, can do that. Like people, a lot of people are in uh, hard circumstances, and it's not always their fault. Like, some, and a lot of times, uh, the way that the power structure, this current power structure, um, is you know, with the predatory energy, like the way it's set up is it's designed to keep people disempowered and it's designed to set up to make it hard for people to spiritually actualize. And it's hard for people to have good, decent, enjoy having decent lives, uh, especially if, you know, you're living in poverty and uh, you know, like with the black community, there's a lot of redlining and purposely, you know, having them go into the the poor areas and, and kind of keeping them there. And then, you know, there's other affluent areas. The same thing with like the you know poor whites, and then you know putting uh, indigenous people and taking them, pushing them off the land and into these reserves, which the reserves were basically land that the European settlers did not want, (laughs) and the companies and and governments, they didn't want this land because they couldn't do anything with it. So that's where they decided to stick the indigenous people as they've been pushing them. Because what happens is, you know, they started in the east, but then they came westward. And as they do that, they continually pushed indigenous people out of the way. Uh, You know, they massacred a lot of indigenous nations. And so, you know, the system has designed You know, this predatory system has set up, you know, so-called civilization in this way. And unless, and I just don't want to, and I want to make sure that in my spiritual practice, I acknowledge this because not everyone has an equal playing field. And, you know, for example, like food, people talk about eating healthy. And, you know, yes, it's important. What happens when you're living in a food desert? And the blame Poor people for getting uh, fat or malnourished or whoever or whatever. It's not always their fault though, because at the stores nearby are only selling junk or the junk is the junk food is a lot cheaper than the healthy stuff, which is again on purpose. You know, and they only have a certain amount of money to use every month. Then sometimes they have to make the choices between. Eating healthy and eating garbage, if it means that they are also going to be able to put food on their kids' tables and keep the lights on, it's not always their fault, and it's not always easy. It's like, oh, just go get a job. But what happens when your community doesn't have a job, or there's no jobs there, and then you have to like travel on a bus two hours just to get to a job? And then what happens when the bus route, like the buses, are no longer running, and you know cars aren't cheap, so even if someone has a car. It does make it easier to get to places, but that's not always the case with people. A lot of people rely on public transportation, but if it isn't being funded properly or the buses aren't available, then what are people supposed to do? So it's not always like I, I know that society isn't always you know it's set up it's kind of like the casino, uh in this in this weird matrix game that we're in and, and it's like this it's gamed set the house wins and yes sometimes we could beat the house but that's not always the case and I still think that there is a way to beat the house but maybe it's more so to towards um developing ourselves spiritually and consciously to to get you know to beat the house or to get out of the labyrinth but that's not always easy to do and I want to just acknowledge that because I just Sometimes I find it disingenuous when I listen to, because I I used to listen to a lot of self-help gurus and stuff like that. And, you know, and they're just focused on the individual and not including societal, the societal structure, then I just find it uh, disingenuous and sometimes cruel, Um, like uh, cruel because it's just, you know, where's the compassion for people that are in tough spots and, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, and I know, you know, sometimes people can get out of those tough spots, but it's hard. And I just want to acknowledge that because society doesn't make it easy for us to empower ourselves and to empower each other. Because if we did, then, you know, the power structure, the predatory energy loses its energy and because we're taking our energy back and directing it towards somewhere else. So I just wanted to acknowledge that because... I feel it's important it's not the sole focus of the show but it will definitely be interwoven and that's why I, I want to learn more about different uh indigenous perspectives and african perspectives because I just find there's more um I feel like there's just I think I think it's important you know especially considering like I I mean we're I'm also kind of caught up in this predatory energy too You know, I I was raised in the public school system and as also the private school system. And, you know, in history and stuff like that, I talk about a lot of European history, which isn't, but usually it's the conquering stuff. It's like how, like all the conquering that happened in Europe and then it came over here. And and it's like the continuation of that. And I just, I want to learn what else is out there. And I want to learn how other people, see the world because maybe there's more genuine meaningful ways to interact with the world and what we've been taught and i just i feel like that's maybe that's a an important key to you know getting out of the house so to speak or or the labyrinth as Alison McDowell says. and i think that's so that's why i want to talk about this part of history throughout the show And throughout my different shows, because I just I feel it's really important. And you know, at at one point, uh, John Trudell, the late John Trudell, talks about this, that uh, even in Europe, you know, before colonialism over there, there were nature-based indigenous people, nature-based tribes, but then they got eaten by the machine through the Inquisition and so on. So the machine. The machine, or you know, I say the machine and predatory energy; those two are interchangeable. Uh, so the machine touched all of us. That it and it, 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 all our ancestors met this thing at one point, and and if we're not careful, you know, go, going forward in the future, like if we, because this whole this thing, this blockchain, the human uh, 2.0. Life 2.0, this whole move towards synthetic biology and synthetic life, if we're not careful, then the machine is going to engulf everything. And I mean everything. Like they're talking about synthetic plants. It's not just human beings, but synthetic plants, synthetic animals. You know, the weather is engineered. It's not the same as it was before. And so all these things are happening. And if we're not careful, like this predatory energy is just out of, it's out of control. And it's going to eat everything, especially kids, because what they want is they want to harvest the creativity and the spiritual energy of children to build out this meta, this mixed reality, metaverse world that they want to put everyone on and so they need kids creativity to do that which is why a lot of this educational technology and the the data that they're going to extract from kids like this is why it's in there because they want to extract the data from the children and to create these predictive profiles of kids and de- determine like who gets these what jobs like where kids are going and then the one aspect that really concerns me is the people that they quote unquote deem are just a waste of space or are just not valuable to the the system or the like what what are they going to do to them right what and and there is like a lot of this a lot of what's happening with the kind of the the, the cybernetics and this push towards uh, a systematic a system theories or a systemic world brain and that's really important because i'm going to be talking about a book next week about it's called the world sensorium where these people really do want to create a world brain so this push towards um towards that world brain and towards just uh this cybernetic society it has its a lot of its roots in eugenics and it has a lot of its roots in uh and colonialism and the do- dominator mindset that has been around for a long time and i think by talking about it and acknowledging it then you know we can start to figure out another way to be in the world so this isn't about a woke agenda it's you know it happened and i think that you know if we want to have some healing and we want to have, a, like in Canada, to talk about the truth and reconciliation movement. So if there is to be an honest, genuine reconciliation movement, then I hope that, you know, my part would be in talking about this aspect of history and then tying it in to what's unfolding now so we can figure out something else. Because I think we can. And I think that, you know, our kids definitely deserve better. We deserve better. We're not like automatons and... uh. You know, synthetic meat suits we're more than that. Like we're, we're made of the stars. Like anyone who studies astrology, like we're made of the stars. All of us, you know. So you know, we're a lot more sacred. Life is a lot, a lot more sacred than just uh, comparing us to nuts and bolts. We're more than just nuts and bolts or a computer, a CPUs or whatever. They usually are. I know that. It, I remember when I went to school, they would often compare human beings to like sent uh, CPUs and computers and processing, central processing units. And we're more than that. Like we're not, that's not us. So, I mean, we, we made that stuff, but that's not us. Uh, okay. So enough of that. <laughs> so that's my disclaimer for the start of the show. And so the I'm just going to be talking about, like I said, I'll only be able to probably cover twenty percent of what's in the book today. But I highly encourage everyone to read the book because it's so good and there's a lot of information, a lot of deeper information that I may not be able to get to today, like 80% of it. And that's why I would encourage people to read read his book. And I also picked up another of his books, the CJ Young and the Sioux Tradition, which I think I'll cover uh not for the next show, but for Maybe a couple of shows down the road because uh, I'm really interested in that. I've read it before, and I'll I'll get to that near the end. Uh, but there's really interesting, like there's important differences, but there's also some really interesting, and thought and food for th- like thought provoking relationships or uh, similarities, I should say, between the Sioux tradition and Carol, Carl Jung's uh work on insect. Saint- so especially with archetypes and world consciousness, so I I want to talk about that stuff throughout the show because it really interests interests me too. Uh, and so, uh, at the be- as so as I was getting into the starting to read, uh, God is Red. So in the the beginning part of the book, uh, Vine Deloria Jr. talks about how since the eighteen 18- 1860s onwards up to 1960s 1970s I can't I'm not sure when the book was published um, but he was talking about the lead up to the American Indian movement and how you know from 1860 upwards to uh the you know the 60s and 70s there was this movement or this uh, a growing need for the uh american indian movement um like it starting with like like i like i was talking about earlier the europeans were moving as the europeans were moving westward across uh turtle island they were pushing you know they were pushing indigenous people continually uh in the west and pushing people onto reserves and eventually got to the point where even though they pushed all the indigenous people onto reserves, but they realized, you know, if they if they thought that maybe like the governments and corporations and so on, if they thought that there was valuable resources or valuable or the land itself was valuable in some way, they would find excuses to like continue to push the indigenous people off the reserves, even though they put them there in the first place. So uh, what really st- uh, stood out to me was how, you know, the governments would use equality or this the idea of equality and saying that the Indigenous people should be like, just assimilate and be like everybody else. And, you know, they shouldn't be on these reserves. And I've heard this before. I've heard this argument before. Um, and that they should just, you know, get with the times, you know, join America and and so on and they weren't doing this because they actually genuinely believed that they were the governments were doing that because or saying that and, and it wasn't just the governments but just society in general was saying that because not because they genuinely wanted to have this assimilation like they did that because they wanted the land they want the resources on the land and that's the only reason why they're making this so-called Progressive like in, at that time, it's framed as being pro- progressive argument, and I often think about like I'm not really I don't really follow the left and right politics because to me the left and right politics are two sides of the same coin, and it leads to a lot of polarization, which is on purpose, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and it just it, that's why I find that like I rather stay out of. The left and right because it's just used as a tool for the power structure to control people it's a it's a control mechanism and so and it also limits having discussions because you know i could talk to someone who's maybe on the left and talk to them about like certain things and yeah we can have an agreement but if i talk about something that maybe they perceive as being conservative then you know the whole fight breaks out and, and same thing with the right you know if I talk to them about certain things like I, I do agree that I don't trust corporations I don't trust the government you know if I say that stuff then yeah we are in agreement but if I say something that they don't like or they perceive as being on the left and the fight breaks out so throughout this show I'm not going to be talking about that I think it's it, it's on it's done on purpose I think it's limiting. I don't think it helps. It doesn't help see the big picture, which really is the system that, you know, it's this predatory energy. And I'd I'd rather stay focused on that. Um, But sometimes I will say stuff about like progressive values. So, or progressive ideas or something that's perceived as progressive, because there's this trend throughout European history where It's it's a lot. It comes a lot from the upper upper crust of society, where they talk about how you know humanity is progressing to this great future. We're gonna progress to this pinnacle, this utopia, where we'll have all this technology and we'll be, you know, living like gods. You know, demigods, not the the god, but more like the Greek gods. Like we'll be this these. Uh, god or gods or we're moving in a direction that's like and we're that's progressive and we're all always being progressive technology is always going to be progressive we're continually always moving forward and it's bad if we move backwards it's bad if we take a step back so that's what i mean about pro, like progress the idea of being progressive because it kind of comes from this it, I see the relationship between the being progressive and, and his and how that's being used throughout, or that's been used throughout history to, uh, justify more domination of the natural world and more domination of human beings. So when I say that, that's that part of history. And unfortunately, you know progressive values are often disseminated in the universities and they're often disseminated maybe in different ways uh throughout the other institutes institutions which really uphold the power structure um so this knowledge is really is dis- disseminated in these progressive values are often disseminated in the institutions and the one that I'm most familiar with is the universities but it's in other ones too, so when I that's why I talk about that stuff. It's not so much a left or right. It's just that's what I'm most familiar with, and I often see this these progressive values kind of finding their ways into popular discourse, into universities, into uh the media, and so on. And uh, you know, I just encourage people if you're listening to this. And you start hearing these so-called progressive values, like just maybe take a step back and just be like, are they really that progress? Like, who is this for? You know, really critically think about these things. I mean, I would say even just to throw out your TV and stop watching the news, but that's just me. <laughs> um. So the idea of uh, pushing people or indigenous people off their land and having them kind of Forcing them towards assimilation and this equality, uh, it was really it was under the disguise of progressive values, but it was really a a means to get people off the land so they so that uh, your your corporations and governments and so on they could get into get into where those minerals are and get to the the good lumber or the good ar- agricultural land. And then whatever land they thought was garbage or they thought that nothing could be done with it, that's the land that they sold back to Indigenous people, especially during the the Great Depression, when they had these parcels of when Indigenous people were given parcels or sold parcels of land by the government, like the government would sell it to them. But these parcels of land would, you know, you can't do anything with it. Like it's really hard to grow. It's the land that no one wants. So, you know, it's just, um, whereas, you know, the the nice land, the good land went to corporations or went to agricultural businesses and went to farmers and so on. So that's what, you know, it's that's what happened from 1860. 60s and onward, and as well as you know the, door massacres, and in California, uh, Findlater Junior talks about how in California, uh, particularly the, the BIA, so the Bureau of Indigenous Affairs. Oh, sorry, Bureau of Indian Affairs. They, uh, in California, they often, uh, often they did they neglected uh, the indigenous people there, and so. The people that were living, indigenous people in California. I don't know if it's any different now, uh, but back in the 1860s and during that time frame, like they were treat, they were neglected, and oftentimes too, because again, they were if they were living on land that was perceived as valuable, then uh, you know, mining corporations and you know, settlers and and the government would want it, so what happened during during the gold rush period of that time, um, groups of miners would actually go into uh, re- reserves, and they would start killing innocent people, and they would do this on Sunday. There was a term for it. I can't remember what the term was, but they would go in and just indiscriminately kill men, women, and children just so that they could get... It was partly of it was for fun and... There was a lot of sick, twisted people uh, doing this. And another reason for for it was what the mining companies could have access to the gold. You know, that's what they wanted and they didn't care. So they uh, condoned these murders. They condoned these massacres and it, it was just awful. Uh, and, you know, even now there's still, you know, if in Canada, if they want to put a, a pipeline through and the dishes people don't you know if a particular nation doesn't want the pipeline going through their community then you know there's often there's conflicts around there oftentimes the rcmp or uh you know pri- even i i mean i don't know i wouldn't be surprised if even private uh security forces were sent in to just uh, you know cause problems and so on and it's happened it's happened a few years ago and in different areas, especially in northern BC. So it still happens today. Uh, it hasn't really gone away. And I think even in other areas of the world, like Brazil, like the Brazilian government's particularly really bad for going in and uh, massacring the indigenous people living down there because, you know, indigenous people are trying to protect the land. But, you know, the government acting on behalf of wealthy Corporations will go in and they will try and, you know, get, attack and kill indigenous people to get to those, get to those lands so they can have the, those resources. So it still happens Like the, the predatory energy hasn't gone. And I will say that it's global now. It's not really particular. Like it's, it, the way it's, it's gotten bigger. Like even John Trudeau during one of his last, Uh, talks before he passed away he talked about how the you know the beast the predatory energy has gotten bigger and i think he's right because you know this push to put us all into a world brain it's a global effort now so it isn't just the european governments and european corporations and so on that are are part of this there's other groups now and other countries too so it isn't just europe but there's other other players involved now, so it's a bit more complicated. And even at the local level, um, because this has to roll out locally in our different communities, so even that, you know, that can be complicated. Um, you know, with the so like the getting into the politics, and you know, there's different people and different groups involved in politics now, so it isn't as cut and dry anymore. And I will, I do want to acknowledge that. Um, uh and but at the same time I think that we can still talk about colonialism and the dominator mindset. It's just that the dominator mindset has now encompassed encompasses is now encompassing everyone. So it's not just uh one aspect now it, because it's gotten a lot. As John Trudell has said, it's gotten a lot bigger. Uh, and then so all of that, all of that history, everything that happened to indigenous people from 1860s, from the 1860s onward, is what led to the creation of the um, American Indian Movement, where, you know, indigenous people, they they were seeing how other, other groups and other people were starting to protest and, you know, push back against the machine. And so they decided to start doing that as well. And what I found interesting, and I will uh, link with, I'll get I'll explore this point a bit more because he does talk about other chapters of the book, but uh, a lot of the efforts were local. Like, a lot of the protests were localized to where the Indigenous people were living. So, you know, for example, in Tacoma, Tacoma, Washington, you know, Indigenous people fighting for the fishing rights there, or um, in other areas of the world like uh near where mount, mount shasta was uh i could be wrong because i might just if i'm wrong apologies but i think there was a, a a move to put a ski resort in there or something like that or or to mine it i can't remember if it was mining or if it was a ski resort but there was a, a push to uh where they wanted to develop that mountain and that's a sacred mount and i don't i'm not sure if it's succeeded or, or if the corporation succeeded or not uh, but there's a push to want to develop that mountain for f- as something. And it is just people living there stepped in and said, no, because that's a sacred mountain. Like the, they have ceremonies and rituals there. They can't. And so different areas have different, uh, like have different sort of um, like colonial, I, w- I want to say maybe colonial pro call it like colonial projects going on. Like, you know, ski resorts in one area, or um, cutting or excessive logging for farms in one area, or something like that. Like, there's different. Like, no one area is going through the same thing, and I think that's important because what's going on is while it's global, it's also localized, and so the, uh, you know, for example, like smart cities might be rolling out in a different way, and in the you know Vancouver or Seattle uh and that which in a different way and then it may be rolling out in a different way in like say Philadelphia or Florida or um or Idaho or Toronto like they have each area has its own um pilot program for these smart cities and I think once and and i think if a, if a pilot program is successful in one city they try and replicate it in another city and so i find it kind of interesting how those are par- paralleling with each other and i think that if you know to push back and to push you know push back and say no to this rollout of you know the cybernetic society you know i think it will be a, a localized while having, maybe having, you know, maybe we're talking to each other in different cities and learning from each other. uh, It's still going to be a localized, I feel like it's still going to be a localized effort because a lot of this stuff has to roll out locally, but we can still learn from each other, but it's going to be, I think, much in the same way, it'll be localized to what's happening, happening here because no two cities are going through the same thing. So I found that interesting how that was paralleling each other or paralleling how those things parallel each other. And then throughout, and then as as Vine Deloria Jr. was talking about um, the lead up to the American Indian movement, he also talked about how there was kind of this, I don't know if the right word is cognitive dissonance, Maybe another word could be kind of uh, a schizophrenic um, perspective from uh, sort of those of European ancestry towards Indigenous Indigenous people at the time. I don't know if this has changed, uh, and I don't know how much of it has, or how much of this has remained the same, but it was talking about how there's a hatred at that turn to 60s and 70s, there, and before then there was a hatred towards indigenous people but at the same time there was a admiration for the noble stoic indigenous elder that was dispensing wisdom to people or like the, the there was a you know this love of the this, the spiritual practices and the being one with nature and so on so like there was this cognitive dissonance or this schizophrenic perspective towards Indigenous people on the from the point of view of those of us of European ancestry uh, you know case in point you know a lot of Hollywood movies would were coming out where you had like the you know I think it's the Dances with Wolves with the Kevin Costner and then there's a few others there's like Billy Jack and that kind of thing where you know Hollywood had the noble Indigenous person Person, and then, um, you know, forgive my language, but the noble savage, that kind of stereotype uh, a lot in those movies. But at the same time, like there was this move to, you know, continue to push Indigenous people off the land, to assimilate Indigenous people, like the, uh, you know, they like the the noble Indigenous person, but as soon as they start talking about politics, oh, you don't want to listen to it, I don't want to hear about your. You know get over it but you know that kind of schizophrenic response or cognitive dissonance that we have and i think i think a lot of that still exists i, I wonder if it's starting to change though because back in a few years ago i did p- participate in an indigenous uh intensive where uh, the 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 lady who's hosting the intensive she's, she's from the Hilsa first nations up in northern BC, and uh, she was talking about how, um, you know, generate a few generations generations ago, our ancestors couldn't talk to each other, but now we're sitting in this room and having this conversation. Um, so maybe, and you know, there were when I attended, there were quite a few people there, you know, especially people of European ancestry who are who want to learn more about what's <clears throat> about the history and what happened, but they're trying to figure out how you know, how to kind of have the reconciliation now and and so that was a really interesting event and I learned a lot and I, I'll keep talking about it throughout this um, experience throughout this show uh, because in another part of the book, you also Brian Deloria Jr. also talks about how <clears throat> because I mean we did in Europe. We did have nature-based spiritual practices, and you know, uh, the Celtic spirituality was one of them. Uh, but then, when Catholicism really got going, they, you know, they really went at pagans, like with the Inquisitions and stuff. So they, you know, went at us, and we had to. A lot of us had to surrender those spiritual beliefs to the Catholic Church, or if we had them, we had to keep it quiet. Like we had to um you'll say it without saying it uh like in in Druidry a lot of the Druid practices and schools like the the Druid and the overt, overt uh schools were shut down but the bards kept going so what happened was that the Druids and in order to try and keep their uh spiritual practices alive they would kind of have a they would do it in a way where they're um, following Celtic Celtic uh or sorry, follow not Celtic, they were following Catholicism, like Catholic spiritual traditions, but underneath that they would have their Druid traditions, if that makes sense. Like an example I can think of is the Saint Bridget. So Saint Bridget was was a goddess in Celtic spirituality, but what they did was they Took her and made her a saint so that they could still um, practice their the spiritual traditions with her um, but do it under the guise of catholicism so that was one way that they kept the the druid one way that druidry was kept alive and but outside of that like because there was such a void that was created by all this violence that the inquisition Uh, brought into Europe and into these different uh, spiritual traditions that there was this void that was created where we didn't really have any more direct experiences with the world around like physical world around us but we didn't have direct experience social spiritual experiences with uh, trees and with you know uh, animal beings and with each other it was more so directed to this deity you know, I always pictured it kind of like as this deity above the earth you know we're always constantly you know looking up towards him and i'm not saying you know and again this is if you have a, a private practice as a catholic this isn't directed at you i'm just saying that, that there was this void because there wasn't any more direct experiences now it was all through this middleman which was like the the Uh, priests and the and sort of the politics like the hierarchy in the Catholic Church which was acting as like a in between between people and the worship of their gods and so there was this thing in between and it stayed up until this present point which and I don't think that I mean I remember during Sunday sermons and maybe sometimes priests would try and dispense some wisdom towards us and there is wisdom in the Bible there is some wisdom in the Bible it's just I don't know how much um, direct experience that has with or that how much direct experience there is between people and uh, and like a spiritual force within the land that we used to have and so what happens is that because you know a lot of people have been disillusioned by the church over the years and so they were trying to find something else especially in the 70s and as the new age movement really started getting going this is what vine deloria jr talks about um in the book is that with the new age movement like they had a bunch of people that were hungry for spiritual experiences and hungry for a sense of belonging, and so they would gravitate towards uh, indigenous spiritual traditions, but uh, but do it in a way that still has that dominator mindset, where it's like it's like they're trying. It's like um the the picture that comes to mind is like this really hungry uh, ghoulish figure, or this really hungry figure that is just it's just consuming and consuming and consuming everything in, in its path, but it can't, and it can't stop and it can't realize the destruction that it's causing by doing this. It's just, it's so hungry that it just needs to eat. And it's like this insatiable hunger um, for a spiritual tradition, for spiritual experiences where they feel this, where there's a, a oneness feeling between, you know, the the spirit of the land around us and um and with our and within ourselves so that makes sense so you had a lot of um like people from european backgrounds like coming into indigenous communities and wanting to um have access to the spiritual traditions but again without you know, addressing the colonialism without addressing the politics, but they just wanted to have access to these um, no barriers, access to indigenous teachings when, you know, at the, there was a long time, quite a number of years where, you know, indigenous people were, it wasn't like, it was illegal for them to practice their spiritual ways. Like it was, they had to do it in secret. Or, you know, similar to how the Druids did it, they had to practice Indigenous, their Indigenous ceremonies, but under the guise of like uh, a holiday, like, you know, oh, we're dancing for Independence Day or, you know, they had to disguise what they were doing because a lot of it was illegal. And now you had, now there's that frustration of people coming into their communities and wanting to have access to these spiritual traditions that really aren't theirs and, uh, wanting to, uh, and doing it in a way where, you know, it's more so parasitic than it is a cultural exchange. So, and so that just made it tougher. It's just made things a lot tougher, like the new age. And then I think it's still somewhat, exa- I hoping people are becoming more more aware of it and are, aren't doing it as much. But at that time, it was, it was a real problem. And I, I don't know if it still is a problem. It might be a problem. If it is a problem, let me know. Um, <clears throat> where, you know, indigenous people still had to continue to fight for their spiritual ways, but just in a different way and from people that were um, just wanting to have full access to everything and just take spiritual traditions without understanding what's involved with them and just go and make money off of it you know and go call themselves shamans when they weren't shamans and you know you say that they're not shamans and they'll be like no i'm i'm part like half one one hundredth of it of cherokee so i have i have a right to you know have access to the, the the spiritual traditions even though it may be from like a completely different nation so there was that added um uh, issue that was developing around the sixties and seventies with the development of the New Age movement. So you know, not only was there like the Christianity and the Christian missionaries that came in, came over with the doctrine of discovery and used that as a way to, you know, take the land. But then you had the New Age movement, which wanted to continue to take, but more so, uh, spiritual traditions. And and use them for uh, their own selfish, nefarious purposes. And I, I want to say, like, another key takeaway I got from the additionist intensive was that, you know, the, the lady who was hosting it was saying, if you want to be a good ally, then, you know, learn who your own ancestors are. Like, you know, back somewhere in our lineages, we had a nature-based spirituality. We had We had these things. And so, you know, by discovering our ancestry, or at least for me, by discovering my own ancestry and discovering Druidry, which is amazing to see that still there is a Dru- like a resurgence of Druidry and Celtic spirituality. And it's amazing to see how even through thousands of years of this, um, you know, of the machine attacking and trying to colonize the spirituality, it found a way to survive it found a way to exist through all that and now it's coming back and so we're seeing resurgencies of these uh spiritual traditions that were in europe starting to come back and i think that you know if anyone's listening is hungry for that you know that's a pl- really good place to start is is who are your ancestors who not just your grandparents but be- beyond your grandparents like where are they from? Did they did they come from Poland or did they come from Italy? Did they come from Spain? And then who who was who were the people living on Spain before or in these countries before you had, you know, all this conquest, before you had uh you know the the rise of the Inquisitions and so on? Like who who were they? You know, who were the Moors, like the Spanish Moors? Who were uh you know were these were there these amazing international trade routes that were that existed before this where different ancient civilizations like communicated and talked to each other and, and had cultural exchanges so there's this whole and that's one of the things that I'm going to continue to explore throughout my show is like there's this whole history that we're not taught and it's fascinating it's really cool and uh, I I hope to share a lot of that with everyone as I, I learn more but you know the ancient civilizations aren't weren't as you know air quote backwards as we are led to believe they're very sophisticated and they had uh you know especially like ancient commit with a different had different had uh navigation routes and shipping routes between different countries and you had people traveling all over the place it wasn't just a recent thing like this There was a lot going on back then, and I'm really curious to learn more about what was happening. and And that's something that uh, another aspect that um, really caught my attention in God has Bread is that Vine Deloria Jr. uh, talks about this because he he was saying that one of the big differences between indigenous uh, spiritual traditions and um, you know the Near East Eastern religious institutions is is history like in the uh, you know Catholic or Christianity really has really places a lot of emphasis on history and time like the uh, chronology and it's done in a way that you know it has justified uh a lot of colonialism and domination because you know there's this this story where you know the you know, the whole, like, God's chosen people and, and the promised land, and then there's the, when the papal bulls came out, uh, there was the this, this these papal bulls, called the Doctrine of Discovery, that came out and said that, you know, Christians are to go forth and to claim lands that don't belong to Christianity. And, you know, there's this whole uh, story with the rapture, and uh, you know, god's chosen people and that there, there'll there be a judgment and those who are chosen will go to heaven and those and enjoy the kingdom of god and those who aren't chosen will are doomed to, to a fiery eternity in hell like that's the kind of story that's the kind of history and talking about is this the history that's used to justify like the the, the missionaries and justify the doctrine of discovery and the colonialism of different indigenous lands both in Europe and also you know abroad uh mostly in the new you know Turtle Island which was at the time called the new world so there's this this history this linear thinking in in European thinking that you know it starts from a it goes and it goes to B and then there's like this uh, future where there's going to be a, a supposed to be a rapture and then and that's supposed to be inevitable and it kind of reminds me of and I, i'm going to talk about it a bit more next week in the world sensorium but there's this um this sense of an inevitability like we're progressing towards this utopian this pinnacle in the future and the ends justify the means of getting there and, and that's kind of what the sense that I got when I was reading that distinction, because between Indigenous and Christian views on history, because Indigenous people, you know, from what he read, like, yes, history is important, but it's not that important. Like the the stories and the ceremonies and the rituals that are created from events that happen either to a person or to the the whole community as a whole, like, those are important, but there's no like real chronology or date placed on them. More so, it's like as stories that are passed down that are deemed helpful for the uh, the community's well being. And so that's probably more so their understanding of history versus like this overarching like <clears throat> history that is we're all moving from. We all started from point A are all moving to this point B in a linear fashion. And what was really interesting about that is he brought, Brian DeLore Jr. brought up a book called Worlds Collide. And that's a, I think I'm gonna pick up that book and uh, t- uh, share, talk about it over the course of the show. And he was saying that, um, you know, it got to it. It's so it's to the point where you know there's a lot of um <clears throat> you know it's like a lot of Christians, especially in like the Christendom, like the whole political part of it. They're so focused on this linear history that anything that kind of contradicts that history, they just sort of ignore, and the world world collision or worlds collide that book uh, illustrates that when back in the 1500s there was this supernova in the sky and a lot of different uh, countries and people saw that supernova and and wrote about it in their stories. so you know it may not have been like a scientific uh recording but they would uh, you know they Create a story around seeing this supernova and so different cultures had different stories that basically said the same thing that there is a supernova in the sky but during the 1500s like you know the, the christian scholars and like the you know the political christian um priests and so on saw this supernova but decided to ignore it because it doesn't go along with their notion that you know, history has always been the same people have always been the same throughout the ages like it doesn't it goes up against their you know this unity this perfect unity that they seem to think that the cosmos has with their, everything works in. you know that it didn't it kind of ignored the the fact that you know chaotic things happen in the cosmos that we don't have any control over and Another one that the Worlds Collide Worlds Collide talks or World Collides talks about and you know Vine Deloria Jr. also talks about in the book is when the mass exodus happened in the story of the Bible. But there were other similar stories at that time around the world where there was like this calamity in the sky and, and the waves and uh, the oceans were acting erratic and you know, some people moved to higher ground so people went underneath underneath and that's the time when you know the moses was leading his people through the red sea and it parted well it wasn't just it may not have actually been an act of just an act of god but there was stuff going on in the celestial in the cosmos at the time i think it was like venus and mars were on a collision because venus wasn't always in this in the sky like where it is today it was actually a comet at that time. And it hit Mars because I think Mars was in a collision co- course for earth and it hit Mars. And it, and it, it sent, you know, now, and now that collision is where, um, the result of that collision is where you see Venus and Mars now in the sky, like in their elliptical orbits. And so, you know, there was this cosmic event that people didn't have any control over whatsoever. But it had an effect on Earth where, you know, that's when you had like the sea, the Red Sea parting and all this, these crazy geological weather events and stuff going on with the ocean because of this massive collision in the sky. But that doesn't get talked about. And so, and when also what else doesn't get talked about is at the same, at that same time, other uh people and other nations and other spiritual groups you know they they went through and witnessed the same thing you know they may have different stories that talk about it but they they went through it and so I think Vine Deloria's point and all that was just to say that there's more there are far more stories and far more perspectives about what's what what happened in history and what even what's happening now uh, than just this uh you know this kind of christendom doctrine of discovery of the the chosen people there's other there's other stories and there's other ways of perceiving these events and i think that would be um for me that's a really good and really important food for thought because um it just goes to show that for me like not one that is it there isn't just one way to see things there's many different ways to see things and I think it'd be interesting to see how or to further explore how other uh, cultures and other nations um, perceive these events as well and not just from a, a you know a, a near eastern religion perspective but from other perspectives too and then one of the last points because it's starting to get <laughs> the show starting to get kind of long um one of the last ones, and I'm going to leave it after this, is the, the difference between space and time. So, like I, I was talking about, uh, and this isn't just uh, inherent in, uh, you know, the Christendom anymore. It's also in, inherent in kind of just European thinking overall. But this notion of like putting time on a pedestal. And this like really this obsession with chronology and I've seen it as well in the world sensorium, which I'm going to be talking about next week, where this, there's, there's this, um, it's like a linear time, a linear chronology throughout history where human beings started off as like, uh, you know, these primitive people, and then we have been ever since that we've been progressing towards this this unity this this world consciousness and and everything's moving in a perfect linearity and this we have to move in this and it's really important for us to move in this perfect linearity towards the future um it's not just the christian that's talking about this It's also uh, now a scientific humanism and now it's science that's saying that we're evolving towards this world brain, towards this world consciousness that where individuals have to give up our individuality and become part of this world consciousness, which sort of feels like in a way similar to the the rapture where, you know, I mean, it's a chosen... The chosen people going to heaven and then the non-chosen people going to some fiery brimstone place like it feels like those two sort of parallel each other in a way but it's this it's but both of them have this like inevitability this progressive you know moving to the future and nothing else matters outside of that and it's like this perfect unity whereas with indigenous people uh, nations and indigenous perspectives like you know times are there but it's not put on such a pedestal like that what's more important is space and it's the land and where people are like when they say land back it's not just physical it's a spiritual as well like you know and for an indigenous nation to grow up you know for thousands of years in, a, in an area of land that like they've they've gotten to know the spirits of the land they've created ceremonies and rituals and and ways of being with the land and both physical and spiritual and and different ceremonies are for different purposes and but they're all there to help guide uh the in, the indigenous nations but they're going to be different because it's specific to the geography like it's not an overarching like global thing like global way of being it's it's local to the geographic area because each geographic area on the earth is going to be different from each other like you know it's currently Arizona is very different from up here in, in the Pacific Northwest in Vancouver like one's desert one's a temperate rainforest so the spirit of, you know, the land, the, the spiritual, or the spirits living in those lands are going to be different from each other. And uh, Indigenous people learned and understood this, and so they had ceremonies interacting with the spirits on that land, but that were specific to that land. And that's one of the reasons, again, that's one of the reasons why, like, colonialism and pushing everyone off their traditional lands and onto these unfamiliar places was extremely another reason why it was extremely traumatic because you know they grew up with the spirits of those lands and trying to have a connection with them at that time was different you know like that's the like losing that can I can't imagine what that's like losing those connections with uh, a land that people have lived on for generations and thousands of years um, so you know land back is more than that it's it's or more than just the physical it's it's the spiritual ceremonies and the rituals and everything that isn't as is part of that that specific area of land and, and and time comes out of that like time comes out of space like Vindaloria deloria jr was saying that when you when you walk between point a or when you travel sorry between point a and point b within that within that like distance, that's when time, that's when you get time because a, t- a certain amount of time will elapse between traveling from point A to point B, but time isn't, you know, this put on the pedestal and is it's is not given this, the same status as how, you know, Europeans think of time or, or how maybe like the, the Western imperial, the, you know, the colonial the domino mindset thinks about time, you know, they're two different things. And I feel like a space and learning to connect. And maybe that's something with and Druidry as well. It's just like, you know, something I've been wondering, like, how do I have a Druid practice here where I'm at? And how can I learn to relate to the land around me? I get to know the spirits around me. Like even in Europe, like there's different, Different lands have different spirit. Like England has a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of ghost stories and people seeing ghosts all over the place, especially in the, and around the palaces. And then there is a lot of, uh, ghosts. Like I think Philadelphia is one of the most haunted cities in America, and it makes sense. Like a lot of stuff happened back east. And then there's, but then there's different stories about different spirits, and other parts of the land. But they're all kind of specific to that one area. So if you travel from uh you know the pacific northwest you go to philadelphia you're probably gonna encounter different you know the spirits that are inherent in those areas as you're traveling like there's not one one spirit for the whole thing it's like it's a different it's like a pantheon of spirits and other beings that live in these areas and you know at one point and it and it still is like i think that you know as I imagine as Indigenous people are recovering their traditional lands, they're recovering the relationships with these beings. How I can relate to that as a druid, that's something that I have to learn. But maybe it's just getting also getting to know the spiritual beings and the different um, and the different beings that live in my area. You know, getting to know the trees. You know, trees are really important in druidry and celtic spirituality we worship a lot of trees and so maybe it's also getting to know the trees in my area and so that a, a walk becomes more than just a walk it becomes a spiritual practice too um so those are the, like the main takeaways that are the key things that i learned from reading find deloria's book god is red uh and he was saying too that like at, at the end of the book um or near the end that the the land here it you know for this land, you know, God is red and he's right. And you know, he was also saying too, and all this is part of the maybe the food for thought for anyone who's listening to this is you know maybe within uh Christianity you could think about um you know like encouraging people to think about creating a gospel of peace or or figuring out ways to have direct experience like how as a christian can you have direct experience with the land and the spirits on the land like how do you have direct experience with the spiritual powers around you and i mean i know each christian denomination is going to be different from each other but how can you have more meaningful experiences? And I think this is an important question because, you know, within this push to create a world brain, uh, actually a lot of faith based, faith based traditions and as some other Eastern traditions as well, uh, a lot of them are involved with the creation of this world brain. Especially in Utah, with the um, Allison McDowell and Jason Jason Bosch did a a bro trip out there a little, not too long ago and they were talking about how uh, like they went to Utah and they talked about how uh, the Mormons in Utah are heavily involved with transhumanism and uh, blockchain and the, the social contract like create. they want to create like a good citizen like whatever that means so there are like as, as I said before it's complicated now because there's a lot of different groups and different people involved in creating this world brain. Um, so it's not just one group anymore. There's a bunch of different ones. And I think it's, I just wanna put that out there because it's important to think about, because it matters, you know, cause it matters to, th- to think about how, um, like it matters to me to think about how I can relate to the world around me. But I also would say like, if you do have Um, a Christian practice like how can you relate how do you relate to the world around you and how do you relate to these other you know Christians that are trying to push out this life 2.0 or human being 2.0 agenda and what and how you know what are you going to do about it Um, and so I'm not trying to say like tell people to you know stop practicing their spiritual practices that's not it but it's just like you know encouraging people to think about like how how can you kind of create that gospel of peace that's not about exploiting or turning humans and other animals and other beings into this these um you know cybernetic digital assets but um that is protecting and has a reverence and sacredness to life and learning how to be a good relative to the beings and the spiritual entities around us so that, that's what those are my thoughts and those were I think Vine Deloria Jr. wrote about that near the, the conclusion of the book so I just wanted to put that out there as the last part of um, near the last part of as the last part of the show and so thank you for sticking with me and I hope that um, you know today's show you took away something from it and I hope Hope you check out the book because the Goddess Red is really good. And uh, for next week, I'm going to be covering, I already sort of talked about a little bit throughout the show, the World Sensorium. It's a book by uh, a man named Oliver L. Reiser. It's a book that I hear Allison McDowell talk about quite a bit during her presentations. So I thought I would pick up the book, and I've been, I started reading it so far. It's kind of disturbing because it's like the ideology behind this push to a scientific humanism, a, a cybernetic society. And I think it's really, for me, it's really important to understand the ideology and the mindset behind this agenda. Cause I feel like if I can understand that, understand where they're coming from, then I'm in a better position of, of saying no of saying no I don't want this no future generations don't need it and so on and finding a different way to or you know, finding ways to navigate this labyrinth or to to get out of the house so to speak so I'm going to be talking about that next week As so I don't know if I'll do a part one and a part two because there's quite a bit of information in here like it's a small book it doesn't take long to read it's just I've been taking a lot of notes, so it might be better to split it up into two shows. I'll see. But for sure, I'll definitely be talking about the book next week. So with for, without that, I or without further ado, I hope everyone has a heartfelt weekend. And, um, and thank you very much for stopping by the Quantum Heart Cafe. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, We'll be I'll be back on here soon. And until then, take care. Bye bye.